You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Monday, uh, September the 26th. Oh, it's all happening today. Uh, Drizzle has given away to a fine morning here in, in TW11 and lots to get through on today's show. Just as I was about to press send, news came through that Stradivarius had been retired. Uh, owner Bjorn Nielsen, owner breeder Bjorn Nielsen is with me now. Uh, Bjorn, you've taken the decision to call time on the career of the preeminent stayer of the modern era uh, with his achievements in three Gold Cups at Ascot, four Goodwood Cups unbeaten at York, including three Lonsdales and three Yorkshire Cups, any amount of uh, of pattern races, one of the most enduring horses of the turf uh, in in modern history. Why have you decided to, that now is the time and that he, he doesn't race on as a nine-year-old next year? Uh, well, you know, he took um, slightly longer to get over that uh, foot bruising that he had Um, when he was withdrawn on the morning of the uh, Lonsdale. Um, And, you know, it'd be hard to get him back now for um, Champions Day. And John just thought it would be unfair, really, to put him through it again as a a nine-year-old next year. You know, he's been the soundest horse. He's never, he's never had, he's never been medicated. He's never missed an engagement in his career. And now to start training him with some, Something that's that's kind of there that wasn't there before. We just thought it's really time to um, draw stumps. I, I I know you had it in your heart that you you wanted to, to to go round again. Is it just because you feel that you're on a bit of a hiding to nothing now, and and it's going to be hard to train him with a with a little injury going forward? Well, Nick, you know he's had a he's had a fabulous career. Um, He's never, you know, he's never, pardon the pun, put a foot wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, he went out there beating the neck, uh, you know, in uh, at, at Goodwood. He ran a, ran a great race. He's gone out on the top. Um, I never wanted to see this horse finish when it running, you know, fifth, sixth, somewhere in, in, a, in a race next year. And, uh, you know, I much prefer to see him go out in higher course. I would love to see him go on for another eight years, but... Um, I think it's it's time, and um, it's time for him to see if he can if he can produce anything, you know, near himself um, in the next few years, which I certainly hope he can. He'll go to the National Stud, and um, we're very much looking forward to that. That's really interesting. It seems it seems appropriate that a, an iconic horse such as him should be at the at the National Stud. How are you marketing him as a stallion? Um, well, his soundness, uh, you know, we'll see, obviously we're going to do this together with the National Stud, but his, his soundness has been one of his great assets. Um, you know, having a sound horse is, uh, is half the battle, really, a horse that you can train, and he's certainly been, been that throughout. He's, his tremendous will to win, his presence, and, you know, he has, 
you know, everybody's so into speed these days, and he actually is a very fast horse. His, his times over the last two or three furlongs on, on all those big race days is very often fastest of the day, you know. Even when you consider other races had horses such as Cracksman, um, uh, um, you know, Roaring Lion and the likes, um, whether it was in France or whether it was uh, at Ascot or Goodwood, you know, he was... He runs very, very fast times, and he, he has a great ability to quicken. So, you know, I think all those things are, are attributes that any any breeder would want to breed to, and hopefully, he's going to get the um, the support he deserves. Uh, are you are you still intent that he he covers flat mares only? Well, you know, his fee. It's it's it, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people over the last few months, and it's very hard to differentiate. Um, you know, what exactly a, a flat mare or a jumping mare is. I mean, obviously, in some extreme cases, you, you know, it's only a jumping mare. But his fee will be set at a level where it will be mainly flat mares that would probably come to him. Um, yes, I'm sure a couple of jumping mares and jumping mares will get in there, and, and that's fine. Um, but um, it, it will be predominantly flat uh, mares. And more reflections on the retirement of Stradivarius on tomorrow's show, no doubt. But earlier today, Jane Mangan was my guest and we had so much to discuss. Uh, Coming up on today's show, uh, the pound is at an all-time low against the US dollar since decimalization, or at least was last night, and there could be more to come. The euro is at a 10-year low against the US dollar. What does this mean for the world? What does it mean in our little world? For the bloodstock markets, we'll be talking to bloodstock agent Tom Goff on the eve of the Goff's Orby sale, where there are an awful lot of American buyers very shortly. It is, of course, the week leading up to Europe's most prestigious all-aged horse race, the Qatar Prix de Luc de Triomphe. I'll be talking to Naohiro Goda from the Green Channel in Japan about whether this can be finally the year when Japan win the Arc de Triomphe. An entitled holder, they look to have a real talent, but there's four Japanese runners in the race. I'll also be conducting... Well, to be honest, I didn't really need to do much conducting. The debate played out itself between uh, Racing Post journalist Richie Forrestal, who penned a piece about the Racing League last week. He takes on Racing League founder Jeremy Ray. We'll also be discussing an incident that took place at Chester on Saturday between senior rider, veteran rider John Egan uh, and Hayley Turner in the weighing room, which resulted in Egan getting a 10-day ban. First of all, I'm checking in with Jane Mangan, who is at the Goff sale. Uh, Jane, Irish Racing, Horse Racing Ireland is under scrutiny once again from the Oroctus. Senior figures, including HRI Chief Executive Suzanne Ede, have been questioned. Um, Tell us what's happening and why and how serious this is for Irish racing. So our industry is subsidised by the taxpayer. So we are always going to be under examination from the government and quite rightly so. Uh, The Committee of Public Accounts, PAC, uh, invited the Department of Agriculture, HRI and the IHRB to a hearing to basically ask questions as to why HRI registered a loss of €900,000 in 2020. A lot of us have put that down to COVID, but they also suffered a loss of £1.8 on its investment in the Curra Racecourse, which it holds a 33% market share. So there was a number of contentious issues. Uh, Darrow Lachlan, who of course isn't long in the job with uh, uh, the IHRB, 
he had to answer questions on why only two tracks in Ireland have the CCTV implemented in the stable yards. This is an ongoing issue and it seems to be dragging longer than most topics should. Um, Dennis Egan and Brian Kavanagh's uh, wage package were definitely up for debate. Dennis Egan's salary and exit package. Um, there was a number of times that Suzanne Ede was pressed on this issue and she couldn't disclose any figures and uh, it was driving the yeah, councillors we, in we question. Should, we, should just, we should just remind everyone, Jane, d- um, who Dennis Egan is or, or was. Yes, he was the former CEO of the IHRB. So um, that's, that's the... That's the re- yeah, that's... That's the regulatory arm of of Irish horse racing, which is controlled by HRI, which is the overarching body, yeah? Yes, and there was always a note of contention as regards the lack of transparency with regard how much the CEO of the IHRB was getting paid. And to this day, nobody knows, but it feels like this is a building murmur and this is eventually going to be made public because um, a number of councillors present on the bench pressed Suzanne Ede on how much Dennis Egan was getting paid, what was the uh, exit package uh, that was given to him, and indeed salary paid to Brian Kavanagh when he was in her position as the CEO of HRI. But I don't know the whole background as to why these figures are not released to the public when you consider that it is uh, much of the taxpayers' money that is paying uh, these wages. But there was obviously a reason for it, and she held her ground. Um, There was a, a note on why there was €9 million Euro of a loan granted from HRI to the Curra in 2020, a loan that has not been repaid as of yet. And there was a number of comments on the Tipperary Racecourse development, uh, a land swap that ultimately resulted in a loss. HRI Suzanne Ede, um, argued that they needed the land for the development and it is an asset going forward. There is a c- comment on the in- insurance crisis in the industry and a number of other contentious issues. It went on for quite uh, a length of time on Thursday morning. But all of this happens, uh, Nick, basically a couple of days before the budget for 2023 is released by the Irish government. That is due tomorrow. Um, And just to give you kind of some perspective, uh, in in 2019 and 2020, so pre-COVID, the horse racing industry received 67.2 million euros from the government that was up to 76.8 million in 2021 to help with the losses incurred from um, COVID and in 2022 that was 70.4 million um, so look the the government will release their budget tomorrow it'll probably be within 24 or 48 hours that our industry will know how much of the lion's share that we are going to receive but it doesn't look great when we're you know, in the public eye, trying to answer these questions. And quite frankly, a lot of them were left unanswered. Jane, thank you for the moment. Serious notes of concern. And Jane and I will be back in a moment to discuss some of the racing that took place over the weekend, both at the Curra and at Newmarket. But first of all, it is Arc Week. Could this finally be an arc for Japan? Could the memories of El Condor Passer being glided past by Monger be eradicated? Will finally Japan put to bed that ghastly image of their star or fervre curling up in the soft ground at Longchamp, only to be overhauled by the rank outsider Solemia? They've got four cracks at it this time round. The hero Goda is from the Green Channel, a regular correspondent on this podcast. Uh, and the hero is, is chuckling away, I can hear. Uh, this, but it's no laughing matter for Japan, their hero, the Ark. Just tell us why it's become such a rite of passage. Well, because, you know, the, the Arc de Triomphe, to win the Arc de Triomphe is a kind of 
the dream for every Japanese involved in horse racing and breeding and uh, well, every every aspect of the, the horses, you know. Now have a big big dream to be the first winner of the Arc de Triomphe. So, and of course, you know, the Arc de Triomphe is a very, very prestigious race with a huge prize money as a European standard. So once, you know, owner, trainer has a proper horse to go to France in t- this time of the year for the Arc de Triomphe, yes, they go, you know, no reason, no reason to stay, stay home for them. And is title holder clearly the horse with the best chance from Japan, do you think? Well, title holder is clearly the best horse among four Japanese runners. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, you know, he, he won Emperor's Cup Tenno Show Spring by seven length. And after that, you know, he won a Takarazuka Kinen, breaking a track record. Yes, you know, um, I think a title holder is much better horse than the other three Japanese. A much better horse, in which case then he, he must have a very good chance. What what do you want for him? Do you want fast ground for title holder? Well, title holder doesn't care about any ground, you know. He can handle very fast ground. He can handle, uh, you know, some softish ground. Well, I don't, I don't know if he can, ha- he can handle a ground like last year or two years ago. But uh, yes, you know, the ground is not so, you know, important factor for title holder i think you know the pace of the race is more more important for him you know if for example Barry doyle or some other you know other french yards may use a you know a pacemaker rabbit well this may be you know um some 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 issue for title holder there so he want but he wants a strong pace is that right because he's a horse who's won over two miles yeah Yes, yes, you know he can he can make a strong pace by himself, and uh, he's a very he has a very very good stamina. Um, you know he's a horse you know, who can run forever. Um, yeah, that is you know the title holder, which is a slightly you know uh, different type of the uh, Japanese runner with another another Japanese runner. Let's talk about the other horses in the race. Um, Deep Bond and particularly Stay Foolish, they're horses who, who stay very well too. Do you think there's any chance that Stay Foolish will, will make the running as he, as he did in Saudi Arabia and Dubai? Well, uh, I think, you know, uh, mile and a half is too short for, you know, Stay Foolish. I think he need a, at least, you know, 15 fathom. Um, yeah, he's a good, good stayer, but uh, mile and a half is not his distance. It's my opinion. And when when the Tenno Show Spring was run over two miles at Han Shin um, back earlier in the year, title holder beat Deep Bond by seven lengths. Is is that an accurate reflection? Yeah. But Deep Bond was eleven to ten favorite that day. Uh, now hero is that seven lengths an ac- an accurate reflection of their relative abilities? Mm. Yeah, you know the performance of title holder in Tenno Show Spring is proving. You know he is the best horse in Japan at the moment. I should say he's far better than the others. Yes, seven lengths is a seven lengths. This is a big margin. It is. And the other horse is Dojuice. Now, he's had the advantage of having had a recent run in France in the trial. Now, to my eye, Nahiro, he looked a very good horse for seven-eighths of the race and then looked as though he he needed the race. How did you read it? Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, Trinil was just a preface for uh, Dodius. Because, you know, the Dodius arrived at the Shanti only eight days before the Trinil. And he was given only one very, very light breeze before the race. So I'm, I'm pretty sure Dodius was only 70% or 75% of, of his fitness. So I'm not, you know, worried about his performance in Trinil. But, uh, well, of course, he's a Japanese derby winner. Uh, I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure, you know, he's a, he's a capable to, you know, run. He, he, if he has a stamina to stay mile and a half at Paris-Rojan, um, it's, it's a bit too tough for him. It's my opinion. All right, that was Nahiro Goda. The idea that there could be a Japanese art winner, we talk about it every year, but it is um, quite likely this time, if title holder is the champion, that his... Um, countrymen believe him to be jane mangan is still with me jane it's monday your your idea might change significantly between now and and sunday or it might not um quite sweet and last year's winner to porto tasso um regardless of what weather is like i think he'll take an awful an awful lot of beating it japan are eventually going to win this race they keep throwing good horses at it and it seems title holder is their leading chance alpinista definitely i can't see her out of the pace Vedeni, big question mark as to whether he will stay that mile and a half trip honesto on that Leopardstown run, looks like he's a major player. And you got the exclusive news yesterday on your look on Sunday show that Rob Hornby will be reunited with Westover. What was your reaction to, to yesterday's news that Rob Hornby would get the ride back on, on Westover? It didn't surprise me. And they're, they're both two great jockeys. I'm, I, I don't think it's a big news story for me. He knows the horse very well. And I, I'd love to see him get vengeance for what was a frustrating Epsom Derby for him but uh, he's had to sit in the sidelines and watch I don't think Colin Keane did an awful lot wrong on him in the interim he was just too free and overexerted himself in the King George but um, yeah look Rob Hornby would be a great story but the arc there's so many great stories I actually noted last week two weeks prior to the race the Jour de Gallo was able to put up an entire field with riders for the horses that they knew were confirmed so obviously at Westover at that stage was to be confirmed but no races in Europe, anyway, that I can remember, have that kind of coverage so far out. Irish Champion Stakes or Irish Champions Weekend, indeed, didn't even have markets up until the five-day stage. So I, I had to t- tip my hat to the Jour de Gallo. Their promotion of the arc is second to none, and it's probably why, as soon as Royal Ascot's over, we all start talking about France in October. Uh, Jane, we need to take stock of, of what happened at the weekend. I mean, it seems like a long time ago now. Quite a lot's been happening in the last 24 hours. Uh, how impressed were you with winners of the Chivley Park Stakes Group 1, Lazoo, with the Middle Park Stakes winner, Blackbeard? They both could be bound for, for the United States now. Yes, the talk this week will all be about the arc, but the murmurs have already started as to what could line up in the Breeders' Cup. And it's hard not to get excited by Lazoo. Rafe Beckett has always held this filly in very high regard. She's only been beaten once in her career. And to be frank, she looked a lively winner from two furlongs down. She grounded out beating Meditate quite comfortably. Credit to Meditate backing up so quickly from being uh, beaten by Tahira at uh, Irish Champions Weekend. But it was Lazoo who got the spoils in a time that was one second faster than the middle park where Blackbeard uh, capped a a busy season, but a, a brilliant season. A lot of people, including a few people on this podcast, thought the morning form didn't add up to an awful lot, but he franked it. He was ridden differently. He tracked the pace rather than making the pace, and he brought up a ninth Group 1 win for Aidan O'Brien, and it's no surprise that both of those horses could be destined for Keeneland. 
Uh, you see, pride comes before a fall, Jane, and um, in your case, after a fall, because wasn't Muta Sabek impressive in the Joel Stakes on Friday? He has burnt me on more than one occasion, and I jumped off that ship many runs ago. Uh, blinkers were needed, obviously, and uh, the Joel Stakes is uh, sometimes a stepping stone for top horses to bigger targets, but I think that may well have been his Gold Cup. Uh, more Breeders' Cup clues, potentially, Jane, from the Curry yesterday. Yes, so we had Crypto Force winning the Beresford Saturday, but it's probably more likely that Basil Martini will go to Keeneland. Joseph O'Brien indicating after she made all in the Well Park Stakes that tactically she would be suited to Keeneland. She breaks quick, she travels well from the front, and she sustains that effort. And we saw at Belmont yesterday, Wesley Ward's Kamari getting back to winning ways in the gallant bloom. A lot of our listeners will remember her finishing second to Golden Horde in 2019 in the Commonwealth. Still in training as a five-year-old, and likely to go back to Keeneland for the Breeders' Cup. Uh, Jane, we need to have a word about this ride in the Irish Zarowich on 5-1 to one favourite Waterville from Wayne Lord. And if anyone hasn't watched it or found it online or on Twitter, then go and have a look at it. Irish Zarowich yesterday, 4.15 at the Curra, came from last to first, beating 30 rivals or 29 rivals. Was it a brilliant ride or did the horse get him out of jail? It was a brilliant ride. Not many people would have won in Waterville yesterday. The horse that we thought was going to win the Epsom Derby. The horse, before he ever ran, was near favourite for the Epsom Derby. Then took four runs to break his maiden tag in a handicap at Limerick. Was backed into favouritism yesterday. He had the lightest weight of all the 30 runners. He broke slowly. He didn't travel very well. And he had to be nursed through the inside of horses. Now, he was lucky to get the gaps when he did. And it looked like Dan Hitchhope, when he committed a lot of joy, might have got the race by the furlong pole. Then he was passed by Echoes in Rain. Willie Mullins' stablemate, Rachel Blackmore, it looked like they were going to bag a huge pot. Only to look like it was near impossible, three furlongs from home, two furlongs, even a furlong from home, Waterville, started to burn his rivals and passing horses really suited him. Uh, I, 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 I won't lie. I was screaming for the hurdler to win the 600 grand Cesarewitch, but it looks like Waterville could develop into a cup horse next year, albeit he won a 600 grand handicap along the way. Well, anyone who's woken up to news of the currency markets this morning will be well aware that the pound is tanking and it's nearly parity at the moment and it, it could it could sink below the value of the dollar if uh, some experts are to be believed. The euro is at a 12-year low against the dollar as well. Uh, many American buyers flying into Goff's bloodstock sales this week and they will be at Tattersall's uh, next week as well. Uh, bloodstock agent Tom Goff is, is with me now. Tom, what sort of impact do you think this is going to have on where these horses are headed? There's been an established uh, route of American buyers coming to Tadasaurs and Goffs in recent years by uh, an ever-growing number of horses, you know. Um, and uh, it's I think there's a big group here at Goffs right now. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, this is a trend that's, you know, going to get, uh, you know, more and more over the next few years. Um, and I'm sure they're going to buy a lot of horses over the next few weeks. I think you might see the group... Uh, slightly changed from this week to the group in in Tadassos next week, but I'm sure they're going to be fired up and they're going to be very hard to beat in the cell ring, which is not necessarily a bad thing if you're breeding thoroughbreds. Uh, so it it could be advantageous for some vendors, if particularly if they've got the horses that are going to appeal to the American market. But you're someone who's been in and around the bloodstock sales now for several decades. In your experience, when there are massive currency fluctuations, does that significantly impact on 
on trade. It's gonna, it's gonna, they're going to be hard to beat these guys if they've got their buying boots on and if the stock matches their expectations, they're going to be hard to beat uh, in the sale room because, you know, by, by definition, it's costing them significantly less than it was 12 months ago. And they're going to notice that. Uh, and things are very, very rock and roll in America. Uh, I was talking to one American buyer last night who just tells me that the property boom in New York and in Florida is just absolutely extraordinary. Um, you know, something like 60 completed houses in some areas of Florida every day uh, on the construction market. Uh, and I'm sure it's going to you know, bring in an enormous amount of money into, into European bloodstock markets, not just in the UK and Ireland, but... Uh, in France as well, going forward, they make, make a huge effort bringing overseas buyers over as well. Um, so it's a trend that's only uh, going to increase with, with with this kind of currency fluctuations. I'm sure. Well, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. You say it's not necessarily a bad thing, Tom. There'll be some who are listening who'll be saying, "Hang on a minute, all, all these lovely." beautifully bred yearlings are going to head the other side of the Atlantic. Where, where are all our good, good horses going to come from if the Tom Goffs of this world can't get their hands on them? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily a believer in, in that. Um, I, I'm, of course, it's... Um, it, I think what you must get confused with are some yearlings being bought to go overseas uh, uh, and top racehorses being sold to go overseas. Because uh, don't forget, if you're going to come to Newmarket or Goffs and buy 25 fillies... You know, they're not all going to be group one winners uh, by the end of the end of uh, 2024. There might be a handful that are good, and the rest sadly will not be good. Um, what we need to watch out for going forward is is, is selling top colts and fillies abroad um, when they're in training. That is a market which uh, which is you know, as I say, uh, as I said to you before today, you know, that's the market in which we're seeing uh, allegedly a drain of good colts. Um, and the reality is, is if you're got a cult in training in in the uk or ireland and if you you're rated between you know 95 and 115 and you get a very good offer from overseas it's hard to turn it down but i i don't believe unless this goes on for decades i don't believe that selling groups of yearlings overseas um makes a massive difference to the breed uh, year on year it has to happen for a very long time tom goff there bloodstock agent from blandford bloodstock and jane mangan you don't have to be any kind of financial markets experts to realize what the implications of this are for the bloodstock sales particularly in the next couple of weeks the timing couldn't be more well good or bad depending on where you're standing the amount of american bloodstock agents trainers that are here is a testament to the effort that goths have put into number one get them here and number two the results the americans have enjoyed from these sales just even this year there's already a buzz around that the place is full uh, just on a point of bloodstock jane we need to uh, to nod to what happened uh, on saturday night in the united states the sire gunrunner whose first crop is only three years old sired five winners of graded stakes including both the grade ones at parks courtesy of the steve asmussen trained society steve of course trained gunrunner and the bob baffert trained Tabor, who looks a very exciting horse again after that early season promise this stallion is doing something that most no other stallion in history has done so fast and people were saying well they could they could charge twice what they're charging for his stud fee and he'd still be full it's pretty sensational five graded stakes winners in one day um, his start was ferocious and everybody was watching to see if he could sustain this and he has in no uncertain terms done that and he's not only getting numbers as regards winners but quality is getting 
is insane. And I'd imagine Three Chimneys and all of their team will be sitting around the table at the end of this year debating how much his fee rises because he is just that uh, sensational sire at the moment. And it seems Colson Phillies, it doesn't matter. Uh, Gunrunner is the new sire sensation in the world, not just America. I think he'll be sought after. He's he's by Candy Ride. He's out of a Giants Causeway mare. He's got an international pedigree. And when it comes to winners, everybody wants one. Now, Jane, we need to touch on an incident that took place uh, on Saturday afternoon at Chester. Reading from the BHA, British Horse Racing Authority's website, the stewards held an inquiry into a complaint made by Hayley Turner that John Egan had used threatening and abusive language towards her in the changing room following race two. The stewards interviewed Turner and Egan in the presence of witnesses Freddie Larson, Jason Watson and Paul Mulrennan. Having considered their evidence, the stewards found Egan in breach of rule J20 and guilty of improper conduct. Egan was suspended for 10 days. What do you make of that in the first instance? Somebody had a problem. They lodged the complaint. The stewards heard from witnesses and all the evidence around this case. And they thought 10 days was the appropriate sanction. It sets a precedent if somebody is going to behave in an improper manner going forward, that they will think twice before doing it. Now, a lot of listeners will be thinking Bryony Frost and Robbie Dunn's case. But each case is individual. Each case is handled differently. And this case with Hayley Turner, who's a, a stalwart in the in the waiting room, a very respected figure, she lodged her complaint and it was dealt appropriately. I think we shouldn't compare to other cases. And in this case, 10 days was the appropriate amount. And I think that was dealt with properly. The irony will not be lost on anyone, however, Jane, that, that Hayley Turner was one of the senior figures in the wake of the Frost Dunn inquiry who sought essentially to defend rightly or wrongly the the reputation of the weighing room and incidents like this don't exactly do a a right lot to 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 uphold that that reputation i understand that and i appreciate that some people will allude to that but this is one particular case that happened at chester last saturday Perhaps this isn't this hasn't been an issue. Haley's never lodged a complaint before, and she obviously didn't feel there was a need to up until this weekend. So maybe feelings change, but when it comes to individual cases, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that an individual case isn't an entire culture and it doesn't paint the entire way room. So I would say this was dealt with on the day when it happened. Um and as I said, clean cut, hopefully 10 days, move on and, and be better next time. Well, we have now come to the end of the 2022 edition of the Racing League, racing's team competition that's run here in the UK, uh, spread across a, a number of weeks and injecting significant prize money uh, into the sport. In the Racing Post last week, uh, journalist Richie Forrestal said it's it's time for the end uh, of the Racing League. And to paraphrase it, it wasn't really working. Uh, racing League founder Jeremy Ray objects quite quite strongly to that and is here to to state the case for why the racing league should continue. Richie, first of all, just explain your your objections to to the racing league as a as a concept and why you think it's not working. I mean, this is something I didn't comment on for a couple of years because you know let it have its chance and see how how it went. Um, it got to the point with me at this stage where I didn't think it was working. I was looking at it largely deserted race courses all-weather racing, moderate racing, and the whole contrived concept of, of team racing 
it just doesn't do anything for me. It never has. Um, and you basically had personalities like the team managers dancing about and making as much noise as they could to, to create a bit of excitement and a bit of atmosphere about the whole thing. It's just not what you want to see. From, for me, you know, if you want to promote racing, you want to promote good racing, good horses taking each other on um, and so on. This just wasn't doing it. And I just thought, as you'll be aware, like the, the, the catalyst for me commenting on it the other day was ultimately the, the Sean Levy incident um, where you have the, the championship leader for, for racing league ruled out in r- unbelievably controversial circumstances when his good name was ultimately dragged through the mud because of a false positive test for amphetamines. Um, and I just felt, God, it, it just feels kind of illustrative or reflective of the hole that British racing is in a little bit at the moment in that, you know, you're here. Um, I think I refer to it as the, this is the prize when you win the race to the bottom. Um, mediocre racing and not even kind of running the, the, you know, the British racing, the BHA side of things, not able to able to implement um, the running of the thing properly with the, the, the back around Sean Levy. So they've tried it. It hasn't worked, in my opinion. And while there are positives like the field sizes and the prize money, I just think it's time now to look at other ways to try and generate that sort of those sort of positives because they are positives and uh, you know that's to be taken from it absolutely. Uh, Jer- Jeremy Ray, you you can't be answerable for for the BHA shortcomings over the Sean Levy uh, instance, but you're you're winning a, a race to the bottom with with mediocre racing. No one cares about team racing. Um, what do you say to that? I, I think the first point is you know, the headline was Sean was about Sean Levy. Levy's false positive was a suitably shambolic end to racing league contrivance. That was the headline. I found that offensive, and I think it was, you know, on reflection, Richard probably would think it's not his finest piece of journalism linking the two. Because, to be honest... I made, I made it very clear in the piece, Nick. I made it very clear in the piece that we were dealing with two separate issues. Well, I didn't conflate, having, the, two, I didn't it, conflate have, the two issues at all. Well, having it as the headline and in one sentence, you know, to the public reading it, I think the two were linked. And the fact that what, you, what you've just said then, Richard, suggested that in some way um, we were, the, the, the racing league was responsible or in some way involved in what had happened to Sean. There's nothing, no, first of all, no, there's nothing wrong with my journalism there, uh, Jeremy. I, I have already said here and I said during the column that it was the catalyst, that Sean's uh, incident was the catalyst for me commenting on it. I didn't link the two, and I made that very clear in the piece. As I say, it, it's, you know, I think it's very important that the two are are, are distance because that is not something you know nobody wanted uh, Sean to win more than we did. He'd been a fantastic champion uh, for the racing league. I'll park that for the moment. Um, I just feel that you said it's really not for me, and that's absolutely fine. It's always been fine. I said you know, presumably you've got an off button. A lot of people, if you don't like it, I wasn't. I don't watch any reality TV. I wasn't even aware that Matt Chapman had done something called Dancing on Ice. I don't know what it is, but these are things that do have a following. That where things have evolved, you don't have to watch these things. But there is an opportunity in racing to do things different. We're not suggesting at any stage with the racing league we want the Saturday audience. We must be on a Saturday. We have to move the festival. We took the sweet the spot of Thursday evenings, and let's face what racing has put on in the past. I've only been involved in the sport for I don't know thirty five years, and in that time during midweek the midweek fodder outside of the big meetings has been appalling. Now, for you to suggest let's let's find other things, I'm totally with you. 100%. The BHA come up with what you like. 
And when we get to the stage where we've got so much other quality that the BHA have to turn to us and say, Jeremy, look, the Racing League needs to give way now because we've got this that wants to take its place on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Fantastic. Let's rush to the top. But what we are the first, as far as I know, it's the only innovation that has come in with anything. There's been an awful lot of meetings, an awful lot of chit-chat about things. Um, the day your piece came out, the two-year-old card at Newmarket, was it a four-runner race, five-runner race? I mean, I think that the, 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 we had two pattern races on that day, four-runner, five-runner. We had a nursery, big nursery, nearly as much money as the Racing, racing League, four-runners, and if Sheikh Mohammed hadn't had runners, there'd have been two-runners. There are issues there. Now, if you, you, know, you could turn around on the same day, we'll say the challenge whip has five cards, everything's all right. It's not all right. We're doing things on a Thursday which shouldn't offend people. You don't need to like it. You don't need to be involved. You don't need to watch it. But no, but no, but that that's fair enough, Jeremy. That's fair enough. But a lot of the time, these things are hard to avoid. I wouldn't have tuned in to a lot of the racing. Let's be honest. I'm not, I wouldn't say otherwise. Um, right. But you, you've, a lot of this stuff is hard to avoid on social media and so on. No, I watch some uh, some um, races, and Safi Osborne, obviously, as well as as uh, Sean Levy, as you say, they're they're great um, ambassadors for the sport, and that's good to see. But it's impossible to avoid some of this. And I would reserve the right to comment on anything like this, I feel, is comment worthy because that's my job. So I'm not, you know, I'm not just going to not comment on it because you're trying something. It's per perfectly within my rights to comment on it. Um, it's, you say, like, it's not, you know, we can turn it off. That's fair enough. But no one really turned it on. Um, ultimately, like it, they, there was nobody turning up at these meetings of note. The, the attendances were very poor, and it didn't resonate with any media beyond um, racing, racing's own media, whether it was racing, the Sky Racing, um, ITV Racing, the Racing Post, or whatever. It hasn't breached beyond that at all, which is what you want anything like this to do. And you would like to get to see more of that when when you're making as much effort as you are to promote something like this, you would like to see it do the job that it's ultimately trying to do, you achieve what you're trying to achieve and, and you know, reach a broader audience than racing's own little parish. Because we're all... You know. 100%, that, that's exactly right. And so therefore, the fact that on you know, ITV, where we went with the numbers, ITV, I was actually encouraged that for the final, we peaked at something like 230-odd thousand. These things take time to progress. I get that. But we, get, we what we have to do is start somewhere. We progressed it from last year. I think we saw a huge improvement in that. I think the fact that we're doing something that is different, well, some people have enjoyed participating. Fine. The participants are for it because they're doing quite well out of it. It's well, the owners, you mean the owners? The, the, yeah, the owners, the trainers, the jockeys, they're all getting the kick out of those who were taking part. There are still gripes about people not being allowed to take part, that they're not getting well, their you places. you need to dig a There's little... I know just uh, to digging a little into that, everybody... I don't think anybody was moaning this year they didn't have the opportunity to take part. I believe Andrew Dietz's piece the other day did say as much. Well, you know, trainers, he chose... There were trainers... Well, if you were, no, 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 no. So if we want to, go, I don't want. If you want to get into my new show, I have Stella Barclays, one owner who had a horse that came up from rated in the fifties and wouldn't get in, and you know had the opportunity only at the last moment when somebody else, as a result of suffer being abandoned, various issues. Issue so what, you're saying that you know, every every trainer who wanted to participate was able to participate. Every trainer right? who wanted to participate, one hundred percent, had the opportunity. Nobody was excluded. But the, the, the team concept, though, Jeremy, like is, it's not doing it for people. You have th those teams. They mean nothing to anyone because they're, they're like you have Wales in the West Pop captain by Frankie. I think it was you have Irish teams with English riders. Um, yes. 
you know, they, they don't mean anything. Those teams don't mean anything. They're not. Why, they're not, why, why does it matter? When you say it doesn't, they don't mean anything. I, I, if you're trying, if we're trying to create. If I'm following a team Ireland, I want it to be about Irish participants. If I'm following a team Wales, I want it to be about the Welsh participants. That's, that's who you're going to get behind it. These teams don't mean anything. They're just randomly selected from a draft or whatever. They, they no, don't again, have any again, with res- again, with respect, the feedback was very much that the geographical hook was the, was the right way to go. The feedback from who, exactly? From the first, for, for we, we've, we've been running this for two years now. So from yeah. the, in the first year to running into the second year, taking the regional places. Exactly- well, I can tell you from our point of view of feedback, we, we get our letters to the editor in the Racing Post, as you're well aware. Yeah. And the amount of letters we have had over the past week um, unanimously, and, and uh, as you can well imagine, my columns will often divide opinion and so on, and there'll be one way or another, and people have different views on it. But they've been unanimously in support of the column last week because people haven't engaged with it at all. They don't see anything to follow. There's nothing, there is the, the with, team. With, thing, with, with, with what, respect, what, with, what do the teams mean? What do the teams Richard, mean? With respect, with, with respect, when you have, and you say all the letters into the racing post. That's uh, our feedback, yeah. This isn't the, you know, I, I, won't, I won't embarrass you to ask how many thousands that is, because I know that will be a handful. Mm-hmm. It was one letter. It was, a, it was a good handful, Jeremy, a good well, handful. Well, that's great, there's a handful. Yeah. But isn't this the issue, that we're looking inwards within racing? This isn't the Daily Mail letters bag, this is the Racing Post letters bag. If we're going to try and broaden the audience, we have With- to go outside of our comfort zone. Yeah, and, and we've, it, it, this concept has failed to do that. That's the Why? point. Well, you just, where is the coverage that? of it? Where, where is the coverage in the sports pages? Where is the coverage in the in the in the, the, the sports on television apart from our own ones? We're not making that that. Well, actually, if it. you saw, I was amazed actually in the Daily Mail going into the final, the double page spread. I have no contact with the Daily Mail. Double page spread for the racing league. Um, the Sun gave it huge coverage as well. Now, obviously, we've done something commercial with the Sun last year. This year they were following it, and it it obviously had traction. So from that point of view, from a base where we had no coverage in those, you know, we've allowed racing to drift out of the newspapers virtually completely. We have to start rebuilding that. So I think my my point on this is the criticism that we do this on the all weather was seemed a bit odd. If you've got evening racing where you're going under lights, I can't find any of the grass tracks that have got lights. So that seemed a little bit silly. The, the fact that we were going and putting prize money where you're saying a group at, at, at races class three and class four, these owners at that level, the median racehorse is 67. So therefore, we have a situation where most owners are getting absolutely no money back, less than 10p in the pound. The fact that we're putting on big prize money for them and you know the good still stories that don't make the press when people are winning or getting placed in our races, that's the opportunity for them to keep a horse in training or go and buy another horse at the sales. This is huge prize money relative to what they would normally expect for horses that caliber. But we how don't... how is any of this? How is any of this selling the sport to a wider audience? How is any of that? Any any of the, because the, the evening ironically, racing, I... mediocre horses, team driven concept that no one is buying into? As you say, the all weather, which you seem to be upset by me pointing out, isn't for everyone. No, how I just any, how is a, any how is any of that promoting the sport to a wider audience? It is not. The, the race courses for these meetings are not being well attended. It's not reaching the broader media. It's not pe- people are not engaging with it beyond our own little parish. It hasn't happened. Now you tried it. 
and it didn't work. Let's move on. So let's move on from the point of view of saying from what we did in year one to what we did in year two. The the progress that has been seen with that, actually compared to what was there before. And I sit there and say, what was there before on, on a Thursday evening? What did racing have? We had the equivalent of third division reserves football. It was dreadful, the product. Yeah. So, and my point, so my point to you, to you is, is you have done, and I said that at the outset, you have succeeded in getting some decent fields. You have succeeded in, in improving um, prize money in, yeah. in that, at that level. So yeah. take the positives and let's find and a take, different way. To, let's find a different way to, to make it someone work else, better. That's absolutely fine. Of course, take positives. Now, now at last you're talking my language by taking positives. Let's build things. That was in the column as well, Jeremy. Maybe you didn't read that paragraph. Yeah, Richie, let, let, let Jeremy have his say on this bit. Um, so, so, so Richie's conceded, Jeremy, that, that you've got the field sizes right and that you are, you are generating more betting turnover. Where we, didn't, we didn't mention that. We hadn't covered the betting point. So the fact that these races... Well, the two things go hand in hand, don't they? The, the field sizes, the bigger field sizes will generate more betting turnover. And if you've got a, a, a network television platform of some, of some significance as well... The issue of not reaching out beyond the sport and the issue of not enough people attending seem to me quite pertinent ones. I worry for you that you're not getting the sport's full backing if you want to do something sufficiently innovative um, and that you're having to you're having to almost make some sort of a compromise in order to just be um, plowed into the fixtures furrow. Well, I, 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 th- I think that's that's interesting as to wh- where it sits. We, you know, we, we were working obviously again with the structure that is there, and we, I think if you look, I think if you look at things that sort of disruptive elements in other sports, that some of them have clashed with the authorities. We went very much with the with the view: you go in there and you work with the authorities. This is sort of a live golf type situation where you're trying to blow the thing up. You are tiptoeing in and saying, here's an idea. We believe, given time, that we will grow this into something that works. Now, from when T20 started in cricket, which was only 2003, to where it is now with T20 and 100, the changes of what has happened in that format have been massive. So as long as you are seeing progress, Rich seems to be suggesting there isn't progress. I would argue strongly, from having worked with it, that we've seen huge progress. There are two elements where he'd be absolutely right. There was an element in his comment of, uh, in, in, in his column s- saying that we need to see the other income sources that are going to support this. That is absolutely fundamentally true. If we cannot drive this to bring in sponsors into the into the racing league, whether it's shirt deals, whether it's all sorts of other partners, then that is a fundamental flaw in what we want to do. I absolutely accept it. But I have, uh, uh, what we got from a proof of, com- proof of concept for what is available to companies is something that has had very positive feedback. And I'm very hopeful that what we get from a corporate sponsorship issue next year is very different to what we've got now. So that's, that's one element of where it succeeds and where racing is not working. In terms of the audience and getting people to engage in it, that takes time. You don't just build that over two seasons. You have to get more people engaged in it. And if it's the, you know, I think I think um, Richard put the fence at um, sort of the, 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 the banter or the way that the teams were put, put forward or the people seem to be jumping and having a nice time and, and, and then all being very lighthearted. That was very specific in terms of this wanting to be an entertainment product that is fun 
where you don't have to understand how the handicap system works. You don't have to understand different classes of races. Here is a sport where you've got a couple of minutes of adrenaline, then you can go and sort of socialize and do other stuff. We've got to work hugely on what we do on course. But you know that was a decision this year, taken against quite a challenging sort of uh, background of how many people were going to live sport anyway. And I think if you if you see what you know, what Great British Racing with the money that it had this year was was really trying to promote against some pretty tough headwinds. So strategic decisions were taken there on where to spend money. We have got we have got to make sure that we have more of an offering that is different on the racetrack. So we need to become more radical. I actually thought the TV coverage I mean, on both channels, Sky Sports Racing and ITV, was great. It was refreshing. It was different. It wasn't meant to be for everybody who normally sits down in their traditional way. It's meant to be, this is Thursday evening, this is fun, this is different. Enjoyed as an entertainment piece. So if that offends some of those people, of course, you know, when you do anything like this, when you are, you know, you are at racing's own little bubble, lots of it, they're going to hate it. You know, people like Chapman, do fantastically well, knowing that they are marmites to the whole population, that they are either liked or hated because of the way that they do things. You know, we deliberately go that route because he's an incredibly talented guy at doing at playing that role, and it does create a different atmosphere and a different vibe, and that is what we want to do. Is it the finished article? Is it perfect? Absolutely not. There's loads we got out this year. We know we have to change for next year, and we will improve it. But I just what what I find I think the most frustrating is if we were up against twenty other ideas or two other ideas that were innovative that were different that were taking racing in a different then I'd be excited but you know we're not we're we are doing something in a vacuum at the moment as and when there are so many strong other ideas fantastic let's see where we get to but let us at least grow this on our Thursday evening you know where I am on this it's time to move on from it um take the positives that they've got in terms of prize money um, field sizes and the, the betting turnover that arise out of that and so on um, and try and evolve it into something that people care about because at the moment people don't care uh, Gentlemen we'll have to leave it there thank you very much thanks to Jeremy Ray and Richie Forrestal Jane Mangan do you have a view on the racing league or not? Not particularly I won't lie I haven't seen any of it There you are well best then leave it to Jeremy and to Richie, uh, my thanks to them. Do you have a, a view on what might win a race today? I think Noel Mead always makes hay in the early part of the National Hunt season. And like it or lump it, flat fans, the National Hunt season has well and truly started. So we're going to Roscommon. The 5.20 this evening is a bumper. And I think affordable fury for Noel Mead and Pat Taff can get us off to a flyer. My thanks to all my guests today. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, that was Monday, the 26th of September. Bye-bye. <laughs>